0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Rob Edwards here for another episode of Talking About Rock, sponsored by school of rock, North Buffalo. Earlier this month, Steve Grimmett, the frontman for the British heavy metal band Grim Reaper, passed away. At 62, he was known for his piercing head vocals and was part of the new wave of British metal in the 80s. They released See You in Hell in 83 and went on to release three additional albums. But before the band, Before that, the band would disband. They did reunite in 2006 to finally release Walking in the Shadows and went on to tour and play festivals. In 2017, Steve was hospitalized during a show in Ecuador for an infection in his leg that led to partial amputation. In 2019, they released At the Gates. And in 2022 interview, Steve advised the band was working on new material before his passing. Today, we have with us Scott Height, who had Steve feature on his track, Salem Witches, before his passing for his band. Please welcome to the show, Scott Height. Scott, how are you doing today?
1: Good, I'm doing real good. How are you?
0: Good, man, good. So tell us, uh, to begin with here, how did you first hear of uh, Steve's passing? It was a shock to a lot of people, I know.
1: Yeah, I uh, pretty much woke up on that Monday and uh, I went and checked my Facebook and the first thing I saw was Uh, It was like this black and white photo of Steve, which uh, I was using for uh, the promotion and the booklet and everything for my record. So
0: can you turn your mic up a little bit? It's a little quiet.
1: Okay. How
0: do I do that? Or if you want to get a little
1: closer to the mic. Okay, I'll try to speak louder. Okay. Uh, So basically, uh, I saw it on Facebook first, I saw the photo, and then I saw uh, rest in peace above that. So I was totally shocked. I had just spoken to him on August 4th, so through a video chat, so it was a a major shock to me. Uh, That hit me pretty hard. So that's how I found out about. it. I started researching it just to make sure once I saw that, and then I started getting texts from people saying, did you see this? And so, did you get a chance to reach out to his family and such? Yeah. I, uh, I emailed Millie and, or texted her and then, uh, told her my condolences and everything. And, but I didn't want to, you know, talk too much, you know, everything was new. I wanted to give her, her her space and everything.
0: Yeah, definitely. It was a shock to a lot of people hearing that all of a sudden, I'm sure. Yeah, they, they want their privacy at this time, definitely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So um, give us a brief history of Europe's and Don's. You, you've been through a lot as well in your history, getting your band going.
1: Yeah, I have uh, an identical twin brother and uh, we play, he plays guitar. So we grew up playing, uh, music since like sixth grade in high school. And, uh, our last year we grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And our last year as a high school, we moved to Western New York, uh, close to Niagara falls. And we had a friend that we grew up with in Pittsburgh that, uh, he relocated to California with his family when we moved to Western New York. So we had a plan to move to California, my brother and I, after high school, to start a band. Yeah, I think there was a lot of
0: a lot of people's plan to do
1: that when stuff was really hot out there, right? Yeah, we were the tail end of like the late 80s, 88. So uh, we missed the first wave of all that. Right. But, uh, that's what we did. Uh, when we moved out there, we lived with him and his family. And immediately, uh, my brother, I think he was already taking lessons from Doug Aldridge, so my brother started taking guitar lessons from him, and then he took vocal lessons from a teacher. Yeah, and Doug's a
0: phenomenal guitarist. We just spoke to him last week on the show for the Dead Daisies yeah. uh, dates coming up. Yeah, he's yeah, excellent. That.
1: So that was really cool. That was during the Lion, of uh, their first record, and uh, he he invited us down for the studio uh, for the second album dangerous attraction and uh we my brother and i actually did a live performance with him in the music store with a it was sort of like a family type night where the students their family would come and they would perform just and, do a jam
0: uh, session or something
1: yeah. right but we did uh it was doug myself a bass player and my brother sang and did rhythm guitar so we did uh she by kiss and then we did another song. I forget what the other song was, but it was really, really cool. I wish I had it on video, but uh, video cassettes were fairly new at that time. Uh, you could rent them, but it was sort of like a two unit thing.
0: Right, yeah. So, yeah, nobody usually
1: had a, a camcorder back those days, but yeah. big bulky type
0: of thing. Now everyone's got a cell phone and you can record whatever, wherever you are, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so that was really cool. We learned a lot. Uh, had really good experiences. And uh, we sort of were trying to find other members, which was sort of hard. We were about 40 minutes from Hollywood. So we weren't right down in the center of Hollywood. And we had day jobs. So it wasn't like we were starving musicians trying to make it like that. Right. We didn't really go that route. So uh, we basically went through different members. The guy we moved with, that sort of didn't work out. And uh, we ended up hooking up with another guitar player and we had a lot of songs for like over a year and we were looking for a singer. And eventually we had a band, but we still didn't have a singer. And then uh, it just disbanded. So we were always at that point and it would just disband. So right. we, uh, my brother was at a gym once and he got approached by a, a female singer. He was wearing a Jackson guitar shirt. so she had a producer and they were doing like a showcase down in Beverly Hills for like five record companies. So my brother was like, hey, I have a twin brother that plays drums. So we formed right away. We were like, and this was like in 90, 92, 93. We formed right away. We were in rehearsals down in the Valley. And uh, we did a showcase where in Beverly Hills, at I think the Bell Bel Air Hotel, I believe it was, I think it was. And supposedly Bon Jovi and Prince did their showcases inside the ballroom there. So there was five different style bands. Uh, There was five record labels that came and there was like Sony, Interscope, RCA. Uh, I forget the other two, Uh, but they they were MCA. They were really big. So supposedly, Sony offered like a $7 million deal, two labels were interested in the whole package. But uh, they wanted us to invest money. And we were like, if this is the real deal, then we shouldn't have to invest. So we told the singer, let's just start playing out Hollywood. We have all the songs, everything's done. If this is real, then it'll move forward. Yeah, was it was it pay to play out there at that time? for For the clubs? you had to sell tickets and all that. So, uh, so she didn't really want to do that. She listened to whatever the producer said. So my brother and I really had no choice. We just walked because nothing ever happened after that and and nothing ever happened with that whole situation. So, but it was really exciting. I mean, it was, uh, we were very young then. So it was like, we were ready to go. We were like, they were talking about playing, booking Vegas. And playing shows there. So it was really another good experience, you know, as far as learning and all that. So Yeah, I know like
0: right around the end of end of there, the end of the eighties, beginning of the nineties, that was a really tough time for hard rock and metal yeah. to sell, definitely.
1: Yeah, the strip was sort of winding down. There was still bands. You still had like, you know, Firehouse was new signed and there was still other bands. And there was uh, this group, Asphalt Ballet, they did a showcase and got signed with this other band, Juliet. So there was still bands being signed, but it definitely was not how it used to be, you know, in the heyday. So uh, after that, my brother and I sort of, uh, we were trying to get into like, instead of working a day job, maybe do like modeling or uh, print work like that. But we learned really quick that that's pretty much the same type of situation we're trying to get in musically. So, you know, we ended that really quick, but I did go on. There was a time we sort of did our own thing where I went on auditions. Uh, I auditioned for this, uh, one of the members, I believe it was from Laws Rocket. And he had this, uh, uh, a Japanese deal in Japan. And he, it was, I think the band name was called Gok and uh so he i did that audition it was like one of those things that just didn't work out i uh i drove like to the valley halfway there i realized i didn't have my symbols had to turn around oh
0: yeah
1: totally hectic so yeah i I, uh, i auditioned for a group called joshua which was an 80s uh metal band basically from la but they were big worldwide but they had some videos on MTV, but i had never heard of them. So my brother and I went down there and to his house and we saw like all the gold records and we're like, okay, this is a pretty big deal. So, um, I did two auditions. I was like one of the last to audition, but, uh, that sort of didn't work out just for sort of stupid reasons. But, uh, I stayed friends with Josh, and we would hang out. So when it came time for Mark and I, my brother, to do our own thing, we were just like, We're gonna do everything ourselves. We're gonna, you know, it's it's so hard in l a to find the people. And that's the main thing. You know, you have to find the right people and people that you can gel with.
0: yeah, i think I think that's super difficult anywhere, yeah, to find to find those right people in the same. Uh mind frame uh, with some of the same influences and just kind of with it with it together
1: then they're not going to flake on you all right yeah yeah i mean that was our main problem really we had all the songs so we uh decided we were going to do everything and finance it ourselves so uh we were in rehearsals down in the valley we knew a guy that made tour cases and he was in this uh it was like a uh industrial area businesses. And there was this company there that uh, they had like three rehearsal spaces, but they really it really wasn't open to the public at all. But the guy that we knew that made tour cases had his business in there. So he was like, hey, I can get you guys in here to rehearse. So we're like, great, you know, it was really cheap. We could leave our stuff there. They had lockers. So if we couldn't leave it set up, we could just leave it in a locker and set it when we came. So uh, that's where we, uh, Dio was rehearsing. So in 95, during Angry Machines, that record, they were in there rehearsing. So uh, the one night, they would usually be rehearsing during the day and we would be working. We would come a little later after work, so.
0: Right, so probably see each other in passing maybe or something? Yeah, we
1: would see him passing, like him and Vinny in the car. And then, but the one time Ronnie was there, he had stayed later and uh, so we met him for the first time and, and uh, he came into our room. He really liked my drum kit. I had like a really big Tama kit I still have. That's what I use. And he loved all the hardware and stands. Uh, he was telling Vinny about it and uh, so we talked to him. He talked to us for like 45 minutes that night in our room, just my brother and I and one other person and when we would rehearse we would video all the rehearsals on a tripod just to look back on and whatnot always a good idea yeah so when ronnie came in i had my camcorder had a remote on it and i was always the one that would hit it like okay you ready so when he came in i went around my kid and i hit record so i have the whole conversation like 45 minutes with him talking to my brother and i and Near the end, he noticed like the blinking light, like going off, and he sort of moved to the side. <laughs> <laughs> he never said anything, right. but it was totally, totally cool. So we, uh, I used to talk to Tracy G all the time, even outside of there, and we would hang out. Uh, Vinny, I only saw him passing. I think my brother saw him once, and then Jeff Pilson was in the group at that time.
0: Oh, excellent, and, excellent. Yeah,
1: everything I've heard and
0: read, Ronnie was just always so gracious. To everyone. He was just a nice, humble guy. Um, Obviously, an iconic voice, you know, that never be replicated, but just a a really gracious and really enduring to everybody uh, that he spoke with from everyone I talked to and everything
1: I read. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean, uh, that night we took pictures and then when we saw him again, we would bring some stuff for him to sign. So I have a lot of sign stuff, uh, and the facility that they had, they housed all of his tour sets. So like the whole Last in Line, the Dragon, everything was there. The oh, that's awesome! That's was, awesome. I saw him on the Secret Heart tour. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. he
0: had the he had the big uh, like what it was supposed to be like a crystal ball. Yeah. Like, 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 displaying his image of his face in it and everything, and I just thought that was the coolest
1: thing I'd ever seen as a teen. I was like, "This is the coolest show I've ever been to." No, oh, it was. <laughs> I saw their hit, the Sacred Heart too. Yeah, and they had. I have photos of the the Sphinx, their tour gear. He, they had all the backdrops. Uh, I mean, it wasn't all displayed, but it was throughout the the place. Yeah, so they had these. Uh, egyptian panels that were like the size of like a sliding glass door maybe not you know at least one and a half width the size of that and taller and they they had airbrushed Egypt, egyptian sphinx heads on them and they they must have had like i don't know 30 to maybe 60 of these and they connected all together for the last in line stage show and then they had the sphinx on each side you can see it on the one video but it's sort of hard to see some of the panels, but uh, they had those just laying, like standing up there. So I, I was sort of blunt and, and I asked Ronnie, could I have one? And he, <laughs> he was like, just shocked that I even, it like threw him for a loop. He didn't know what to say. Right. And he went to the the owner of the, that owned the building that they rented from and said, hey, can he have one of these? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're yours. I they're mean, yours, it's fine. they're yours anyway, right? So Do you want them here or not? <laughs> yeah, he gave me one of those. That's amazing. He signed it. I have it bolted in my garage with uh, protective stuff over it. Very totally, cool. like, it's been all over the world from that tour. Uh, that that just shows you what type of person he he was, you know? And totally took the time. I mean, it was a great, I mean, he was a huge influence, a huge hero growing up, watching him and one of the greatest singers. So to meet him and and we pretty much saw him for like three to four months off and on until they finished that and went out on the road.
0: Right. Just, yeah, just amazing career, amazing singer. What he did for Sabbath to, you know, re-energize them and bring them back. Almost from the dead, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then to go on to even you know bigger things with his with his uh his own band, uh and and the new uh, and the new movie that's going to be coming out, Dreamers yeah. Never
1: Die too.
0: I'm yeah. waiting to see that. That's going to be great.
1: Yeah, it was cool. He took us inside their room, and he's like, "Hey, I want you guys to listen." He played us the new Angry Machines of what they had demoed. So we were just like blown away at that. So uh, it was really, really cool. Then we we went to see him on tour uh, once they hit the road. They played a lot in LA and, and Hollywood and stuff. so uh, so that was great. Uh, after that time, well, what happened then is we were rehearsing our record there and we had we asked Joshua if he would play lead on the record. so he said he would. So we finished the record and we actually had a uh, listening party at that studio. And we invited Ronnie, but he, he said he had to pick somebody up at the airport. I don't think he would've came anyways, because he wouldn't have wanted to be with, you know, probably a crowd of people that he didn't really know.
0: Right, it, right, it's too much like of that. a mob scene for yeah. him probably.
1: But uh, Ch- uh, Tracy G went and Joshua and his one band member came. So it was really cool we, uh, had friends and family and we played the record and everything. And, uh, so that was our first album. And then we started writing, we really didn't still find the members. And, um, we started writing some new stuff and I was like, I wanted to do like more of a solo record type thing.
0: Now you were still searching for what, for a singer and someone else?
1: Yeah. A singer and a bass player. So, uh, But then my brother just sort of got tired of the scene and he moved back to Western New York. I think it was like 98. So I really didn't want to, you know, stay out there. We really weren't there to live the rest of our lives. We were there to try and become rock stars and make it. That was the whole purpose. It wasn't like I'm going to live and then here's, you know, because it was expensive there. Right, right. And housing, it was, it was outrageous. So I uh, gave it like two years. I wanted to do another record. I did uh, the derailed record and then in 2000, uh, the summer of 2000, we moved, my wife and I moved back here to Western New York. So um, I accomplished that and everything and had uh, different guitar players I knew and that that played on that record. So I did some cover songs and then I wrote three original songs. Uh, my brother and I pretty much wrote all of our music for the first record. Both of us do lyrics and music. So uh, so then I even expanded that on my solo one writing three songs. So uh, so that was cool and then moved back here and and was just trying to get established for, for years. And I auditioned for some local bands, but, uh, that didn't really happen. And then, uh, I put an ad up at Guitar Center and, uh, that's when, uh, I got an answer from Dan Kaplan that's in Hair Nation. Yeah. Yeah. Great guitarist. Yeah. So my brother actually, they worked together in high school and, uh, but, I don't even remember him. I didn't work with them. So I didn't remember him, but he remembered us and my brother and, and uh, and we have a sister too, that she worked there too. So he remembered them. And so I was just like, I told my brother, do you know this Dan Kaplan? I don't even, he's like, yeah, I worked with him at this place, you know? So, so that was really cool. So we uh, I told him I had this whole record ready to go in the studio. So the time machine I had, all the songs. Uh, There was songs, uh, The Vampire's Kiss, my brother and I, he wrote the lick like when we were still in California after the first album. And it was just like the first measure. And Mm -hmm. I had a drum machine and I added the drums to it. So it was pretty, it was probably four measures of that beginning of that song. So if you look at the back of the time machine, there's dates next to each song. And that those dates mean either the lyrics or the music was written in that time. Oh, okay. So, there's a song that my brother and I wrote, uh, and we used to jam the whole music to, uh, another rock and roll night when we were like in eighth grade. So that whole thing was just this jam. We would jam and that. So I went back through old cassette tapes and took these songs and finished them and then added them to this full length record. And they really flow. You can't really tell that this was, like, written this long ago or this was written this time.
0: Right. I've 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 seen and read a lot of musicians have done that. They've gone back into their archives of, of things they have done, you know, maybe, you know, change them up a little bit and, you know, put them out on their new material and stuff, and uh, it sounds great, yeah. yeah. So you did put together a video for The Vampire's Kiss, and we're going to check that out. You want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah, we shot that in uh, Niagara Falls, At a old high school we had a a big stage production. I actually designed a miniature stage to show the guys of how the production would look and then we filmed the outside uh, in a cemetery like right down the street and then my daughter was the little character the girl in the video so it was a it was a cool it was a full eight hour plus day Uh, but it's probably one of our best videos the storyline. I like doing a lot of theatrical stuff like Alice Cooper, King Diamond. So I like telling the story with the set too. So that really showcases, you know, how we would be live with it. Yeah, video. definitely. I really like the video a lot. We're going
0: to take a quick pause here and check it out. We'll play the video for The Vampire's Kiss and we'll be right back here on Talking About Rock. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, we're back here on Talking About Rock with Scott Height. Just watch the uh, video for The Vampire's Kiss. Excellent stuff. So you guys also went on to do a track with uh, then Steve, uh, Sam's Witches, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, the band, we were together about three and a half years and we did four total music videos for the Time Machine. And then my singer relocated to Florida. So at that time, I didn't want to just get somebody new to just to fill in and play out because his range was like incredible yeah he sounds great in that in that track yeah yeah to to find somebody like that is it's very hard right so i already had salem witches in the exorcist effect written and we did rehearse one time i was showing them the guitars and stuff before he did move so it basically the uh, the bass player then departed, and then Dan and I have always been together. I mean, since you know, since the time machine. So he's really easy to write with. I mean, he doesn't really write, so I just show him like this is what I want for this guitar, these measures, this, and then we'll go into this and a bridge, and then usually I'll have him do a different rhythm for the for the uh, guitar solo. So basically it was just him and i after that and we started working i started showing him the the tunes we finished the tunes there was a a few a year or so in delay in recording just with things that happened so uh when we were in the studio and i was finishing stuff because i do all the vocals too i do all the melodies all the lyrics so all the time machine all the lyrics i wrote and all the melodies of you know the songs So uh, for Salem Witches, I was in there with the engineer and and he's like, well, you should get a big singer to sing on this. You know, everybody's at home because of COVID. You'd be surprised that people would probably do it. So I was like, "Okay." so I had all the vocals. If you buy uh, Salem Witches, there's three demos on there that I sing on the last three. Those are the demos I sent to Steve for the songs to learn and when you listen to the song it's pretty much spot on what he did with my vocal as as far as just the melody it pretty much stayed the same so uh so i i i had a list he was like you should have like 20 25 people and there was people i thought of and steve was like always one of my favorite i mean i love the power metal high range vocalist the one that you can understand it's clear and i was a huge fan of grim reaper uh everything so uh there was a couple other guys i had in mind and this wasn't but i knew they wouldn't do it if you can think of like some high 80s metal singers right probably see who i'm going for right right Um, I, i think a couple
0: names come to mind one of their names might start with rob maybe uh yeah, well, he... Or, or, just, or Tim could be a first name for
1: one of them as well. Yeah, there's there's other ones, but, you know, I actually, you know, I like Steve's voice. Uh Just, you know, sometimes, I mean, Rob Halford is incredible, but, you know, there's no way someone of that, you know, has the time, let alone, that would probably do something like this. You right, know? right, right. So, uh so, Steve was the first one I reached out to. So, I, I emailed him last year, like in November, and said, Hey, here's this project. I gave him the whole thing. I said, Do you ever do this? Would you be interested in doing this? And he was like, Yeah, I, I, I've done this for other bands. So, I said, Okay. So, I was blown away. I sent him the tracks. And so, I pretty much have been in communication since last November through text pretty much weekly, off and on, like, hey, how are they coming, this, this. He would send me stuff. I'd tell him what to change. So uh, that went on. And then uh, I, the record came out August 3rd, just still this month. And I video called him on the 4th. And he was outside. He had just finished eating at a restaurant. And we had talked. I showed him. Uh, The poster, the promo poster I showed him the CD. I opened it, showed him it to him, the promo card and everything. And uh, so he thought it was cool, everything. So we talked about 15, 20 minutes. And I sent him this package with a bunch of CDs, all the stuff, some of my old stuff, shirts. And uh, so I sent that out uh, on that Friday. So When I found out that he had passed, one of the things I wanted to know, did he get it? You know, right. Because, you know, he saw it, but he didn't actually hold it. So that was one of the questions I had for Millie. I said, hey, did he get this before he passed? And she was like, yeah, the day before. So he probably got it Saturday. I don't know if they have mail Sunday, but. Saturday so So, he saw it saw everything so that that was really cool that meant a lot to me because that just sort of finalized everything that we had done and uh so yeah it was it was you know a lot of people have been asking if like if this is the last recording he did and I asked Millie that but she doesn't know I mean I know he's he did recording they're working on the new Grim Reaper stuff Right. And they're probably going to release
0: something, I would yeah, imagine. I, hope yeah.
1: they do. I definitely wanna hear it. But, you know, as far as like an actual in-your-hand product you can buy, it might be. I don't know. Because it, it came out on the third, from the third till the fifteenth. So we
0: can say at least at this point, as far as we know, at this point, this is the last track from yeah, there's two Steve Gremmana. He
1: Saying on. Yeah. So uh, but uh yeah, as far as that you can actually buy and hold in your hand and it's a finished final product, I would guess. But I know there's more recordings and definitely more stuff to be released by him. So I'm just humbled to be... I've learned so much more about Steve now that I didn't know. And for me, I'm just humbled and amazed I got to work with him and to get this project done and to get it out. I mean, he had a lot of difficulty with... Uh, you know with losing his leg and everything with that and i asked him like how's how is your health you know and he told me that he was on medication he was having heart complications and it was something with the blood flow so uh but he was being monitored so and he was in good spirits and fine when i talked to him so it was it was a total shock when I found out. Right, right. Well,
0: I'm so glad he was able to do this track with you here. And we're going to uh, play it here real quick for everyone so they can check out here the track for Salem Witches here on Talking About Rock.
2: The sailor witches were burned alive. Ashes to ashes, from death they will rise. A curse was set that night. That night, death is coming up to thee. A spreading disease went through the town. No explanation, not to be found. Did they bring it on to thee. Ashes to ashes, from dust they will rise A curse was set that night, that night The sale of witches were burned alive
0: Okay, we're back here on Talking About Rock with uh, Scott Height. So, so yeah, uh, go ahead. So what's what else is uh, planned in the works for you guys?
1: Well, these two songs were basically a uh, two tracks off of a new record, a complete record. So he did the Salem Witches track, and there's a track on this album called The Exorcist Effect. And there's 10... Uh, songs on the record, but it's demos and then there's five different versions of The Exorcist Effect. So there is uh, a video coming out for The Exorcist Effect. It's going to be a uh, a lyrical video with footage, but it's not going to have like the band or anything. Okay. And I'm working on that now. And then I do have footage of Steve singing Salem Witches in his studio which we're going to release a full-length music video for that. And uh, I had talked to Millie about it. I want to go everything through her before it's released so she knows. And she was like, yeah, thank you. She wants to carry on his legacy and anything that he did. And the Salem uh, Witches video is going to be really, really cool. It'll be the full band and with Steve singing that song. So. I mean, he killed these tracks, really nailed them as far as, I mean, he still has it. His voice is incredible, his range and everything. So uh, so these two songs were basically sort of something I wanted to re- release like a single off of a new album, but it was actually more than that because it's two tracks plus the extras. So we're uh, I have pretty much the whole next record for height written uh the title already and uh so we're gonna work on that there's there's other things that we have planned uh, so as far as playing out it'll probably be, be later uh, there might be other singers i'm gonna work with and we would then play out with that so and then we would play old and new stuff so that's sort of what we're looking at gotcha
0: gotcha well keep us in the loop on what's happening
1: Okay. definitely you
0: know And when the new video comes out we'd we'd love to check it out um yeah, if exactly. folks want more information about you or your band where should they go
1: they can go to hype.bandcamp.com you can get all the merch there the new album old records t-shirts everything and then uh we're on facebook facebook.com slash hype band and you can check out everything there
0: excellent excellent thanks so much scott for being with us today we really appreciate it man All right. Thanks a lot. Good talk. All right. Yep. And if you folks out there want to know more about us, or you have comments or questions, please feel free to email us at talkingaboutrock at gmail.com. Please like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, for this interview and our other videos, check us out on YouTube. And this will be also dropping to all the podcast streaming services. Scott, again, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks. Take care.